Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would be here as our teacher. And as we talk about a dirty topic, I ask that you would find a way to keep us clean, that you would purify our minds. I ask for your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is a new lecture for me. And what that means, when I give a lecture, say, five or six times, the verses end up being in my mind, and then I don't really need notes. I just sort of have them for a formality, but I don't really touch them. But when it's a new lecture for me, I'm quite addicted to them. Does that make sense to you, how that, how that worked for you? Well, in this case, they're right there on my computer, and I'm afraid it's going to go dead. So what I decided to do for sensibility is start out by telling you what in my thinking and prayer and study I concluded the sins of these various entities are, that is, of Latin and North America and of, the, of Asia, and then to go after a Bible study. Because if the computer goes dead, I can wing the Bible study. It's being recorded right now. Oh, it's in room 305 in the inn. If you want to get it for me, that'd be super. My wife is there. What would I call the sins of North America? Uh, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16 and verse 49. It seemed sensible to start with the sins close to home. I have been in uh, liberal churches that preached against conservative sins and in conservative churches that preached against liberal sins, and I consider both to be kind of pointless and aimless preaching. Does that make any sense to you what I'm saying? Kind of. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. When I read that verse, it just looks like what's right around me. Did you notice what you'd expect it to say when it says Sodom would be homosexuality and fornication? But what does it list, list first as the sins of Sodom? Pride and fullness of bread. I was listening to uh, the news yesterday. Um, it was in the airport. And it was describing the parts of the United States that have the least longevity. That is, they live longer than the rest of the states. Do you know, it's the states all the way around the one I live in plus the one I live in. Arkansas is right in the middle. The states all the way around Arkansas are where you live the shortest amount here in North America. Well, why? It's because we eat too much food and we smoke. That's why we don't live so long. Is it a sin to eat too much food? It was the sin of Sodom fullness of bread. And uh, my wife began to comment on this three or four years ago. That is, we would fly to give a series of lectures, maybe in Europe somewhere, and then over here in California somewhere. 
and maybe in Michigan somewhere. And every time we'd come home, she would see something and she started saying, Eugene, why do the people in the Arkansas airport look so different than the people in the other airports? What she means is that they're obese. That's, that's what she means, is that there, there's a difference. The, one of the sins in North America is that we eat too much food. But this verse didn't say about eating too much food. It said you have too much food. An abundance of bread and pride. How to, uh, we'll have a Bible study on pride, but let's just talk about what, these, what the sins are. And then idleness. Have you ever thought about idleness as a sin? Idleness is a violation of the fourth commandment in principle. That is, the fourth commandment doesn't only say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It also says, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. We were made to have useful employment. And did idleness benefit Sodom? Now, maybe you could ask the question, why was Sodom idle? The answer is in the verse, Sodom could be idle because Sodom didn't have to work to have food. That is that, and um, yeah, it's really something here in America that our food is so cheap that most Americans could work for only three or four days, and in the three or four days, earn enough money to buy their food for an entire month. Really, for their family for an entire month. Do you know in most of the world it isn't like that? In most of the world, it's, you, you work a good chunk of your time to get your food. So here are some of the sins. Pride, abundance of bread, idleness, but then there was another one. Neither did she strengthen the hands of the poor and needy. Uh, thank you, Rachel. I've lived in Alaska, and I live in Arkansas. This is what the United States does for poor people. We give them abundance of bread and idleness. You know what we do for poor people? We give them, I have a sister-in-law who gets food stamps. She needs them. She's a single mother of four children. She gets food stamps. But she would have to have a family of gluttons to have any hope of using up the amount of food stamps she gets. That she can eat the most fancy organic vegetables and fruits and still have plenty. What the government is giving her and they pay her rent. Am I faulting them? Does she need help? A single mother of four children? She needs help. But what is the government giving to poor people? It's the same thing the rich people have. Abundance of bread and idleness. But what do the poor people really need? You know, they need to be strengthened. They need to have someone to literally to help them and get them going. And this is one of the sins of North America. It's the sin of treating the poor with indifference or carelessness or even careless gifts. That is, helping them in a way that really doesn't, helping them, doesn't help them.
if I were to talk for a minute about the sins of Asia, one of them would be ancestor worship. Ancestor worship has not uh, disappeared. It has morphed. And I'll be very plain when I address this kind of thing in my experience. Uh, the desire to please one's elders to the extent of violating principle is idolatry. It is, in fact, ancestor worship. That is, when you obey someone contrary to principle, this is a kind of homage that is due alone to God. It doesn't belong anywhere else. And to give that kind of homage to a man is to put him on the throne or to treat him as deity. And that is one of the sins of Asia. Uh, it has, I'm thinking of China right now. Uh, China has spoiled an entire generation. That is that you have a generation of people who the entire society outside of the farmlands, you have single uh, child homes. That is, the, I'm talking about the one child policy. I was in China and uh, listened to people talk. I, be, I listened to a lady talk about how she didn't want to get married and didn't want to have a child because it would interfere with her career. This devotion to wealth and to prosperity is, it is the, it's a covetousness and it's one of the sins of Asia. But when I talk about the sin of Asia, can you sense that the sins of Asia are the sins of America and that the sins of North America, can you sense the sins of people are the sins of people? It reminds me when I was preparing this series really about the seven churches. Because when the Bible talks about the sins of Ephesus, at the end it says, let him that has an ear hear what God the Spirit says to the seven churches. And it's that way all the way through, right? Sure, there are weaknesses of Ephesus, but pay attention, we have those too. And there are weaknesses of Pergamos and of Thyatira. So when I talk to us about the sins of these various areas, yet let the, the Spirit would say, let him that has an ear hear what God is saying to the churches. What are the sins of Latin America? They include, for example, provocative dress. That is not caring for the needs of the brethren in the way that the ladies are attiring themselves, dressing themselves. Uh, they include a familiarity that breeds immorality. Uh, warmth is something the Bible affirms. The Bible even talks about a holy kiss. But when I've seen persons from the Middle East, it looks to me that the holy kiss is man to man and lady to lady, and it isn't hardly what we would call a kiss. Um, and it has nothing to do with this kind of chummy relation that would allow a girl to just come up and 
be in physical contact with me like I'm her brother when I'm not her brother. I've seen statistics, and I just don't know how these statistics are made, so I can't really call them factual, but they match my experience in talking to young people. And that is that if a young lady grows up in Central or South America, the chance of her being molested or raped during her teen and preteen and even childhood years is maybe 50% or better. That's horrible. Will sin be punished? Sin will be punished. And the sins of society will be punished as thoroughly as the sins that are rare in society. That is, the ones that are common will be punished just as the ones that are rare. All right, I got out the main things. Let's have our Bible study. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're looking at verse, verses 6 to 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verses 10 to 12. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness. But I'm looking at, and read verse 9 too. And they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. I'm thinking right now about how tragically I've erred when I have helped zealous, spiritual young men and women immigrate to the United States from other countries. I don't do it anymore. Because the love of money is the root of all evil and they that will be rich enter into a snare. North America is, has, as one of its chief sins, covetousness and a love of money. I was talking to a man just yesterday. He told me how when he was in engineering school that they went to talk to an engineer, this is part of their senior year project, to talk to real workers in the real world to learn more about the the job force, and the engineer plainly said that uh, some people want to have meaning in their life, but the reason he was an engineer was for the money. Is the love of money evil? It's not only evil, but it is a root and a seed that springs up into evil. I'm thinking right now of a young man from uh, Zimbabwe who went to school in Arkadelphia, that's near where, that's where I'm church planting in Arkansas. He went to school there, and the first few weeks he was in school, he was bringing visitors to church. A zealous young man. 
but by a year later, despite constant efforts in the church to involve him and help him and talk to him, he was living with another lady and was living a worldly life, and his Facebook page had as its picture, not his face, but a picture of an American dollar. To me, it only illustrates this thing. This is a dangerous country. It's a dangerous place. And what makes it dangerous? Among many other things, it's this thing, that here, society has glamorized a desire for wealth. You can see it there, hurtful lust. What do the hurtful lust do in verse 9? They drown men in destruction. When Jesus was speaking to North Americans in his parable of the four types of soil, he was speaking to us when he talked about the thorns. Remember what the thorns do? They choke out that plant. What he said is to be careful in your own life that you aren't overcharged with the cares of this life. Surfeiting and drunkenness might be how the world gets overcharged, but for you, it's more likely going to be busyness. Too much stuff. Too much stuff. And this overcharging, this just going for too much, it's really materialism morphed in our experience. Instead of seeking after a lot of money, it's seeking after a lot of success or a lot of recognition or a lot of something else. Anyway, it's the same thing. The sin of North America is that we're drowning ourselves in perdition with too much, what's the word I'm looking for? Too much. A man has a lot of drive for position. You'd say he has a lot of ambition, maybe is the right word. The book Education doesn't condemn ambition. You know, it doesn't. In fact, it speaks about ambition as a positive thing. Ambition for a noble purpose, for a holy call. But an ambition for money is what we just read to be condemned in 1 Timothy. Desire to be rich, an ambition to go for this thing. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10 and verse 37. We're about to look at uh, more about this idea of the sin of ancestor worship or of really worshiping our elders. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Um, do you see in this verse that you can make an idol out of your parents and your children? Idolatry is a sin, even if it is entirely in the family circle. The idolatry, what does it look like to have your parents as an idol? I'm thinking right now of a young man I knew 
he canvassed with me in the late 90s, and he decided that God was calling him to the ministry. His parents gave him such fits, such stress. The way that they were viewing it was that the child ought to get a high-paying job so that he can take good care of his parents in his old age. They wanted him to become a physician or a lawyer or a dentist or something like this. He needed to be in this realm. And if he was, and the people that would become ministers, those would be people who can't, maybe they don't have enough intellect to really do well those professional jobs. If they can't make it there, then maybe they could take that lower position. And they pushed him and pushed him, and you know, he succumbed. After studying a couple years for the ministry, he ended up going for a profession. That's idolatry. And it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate that we would hold our parents in such a position that when their desire is contrary to God's revealed will, that we would go with their desire. Parents make their children idols when they, well, you've seen it, for example, in the, in the stores, when the child screams and the mother gives the child what it wants. That mother has made an idol out of its child. And idolatry is condemned. Love his father or mother or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Look after Psalm, uh, Psalm 10, verse 4. Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, I'm sorry, Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Pride is one of the sins that is in the wealthy parts of the world all around. And that would include North America and certain parts of Asia. And what is the symptom of pride in this verse? That and not seeking. Not seeking after God. Uh, one of my most common internal pleas to heaven has to do with pride. That is, whenever I sense that God has worked through me or spoken through me, or accomplished something by me, it's scary to me. I'm, it's not that I'm ungrateful, but it's scary, because I live in a society that is full of pride. And pride destroys spiritual life. And I plead with God to spare me from it. It's Thankfully, at least to this point in my life, I have a distinct understanding of the fact that I'm very weak 
and my life is disastrous without divine assistance, and it would be immediately a mess, and may that thought ever be there. But if you have thought that you're not proud, know that pride is the kind of sin that can hide well. And if you find yourself neglecting devotion, neglecting to seek after God, neglecting to go after him with your whole heart, you can see in the symptom evidence of the invisible sin. And what is the invisible sin that is behind neglecting to seek? It's pride. First Samuel chapter 17. I don't even know what this verse says because the note I wrote about it, I don't understand my own note. My note says, pride is reflexive in terms of identification. And when I read the verse, I'm going to hope that I'll understand what I meant. 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. I do understand it now. Good. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your, proud, your pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for you art come down that you mightest see the battle. Do you know who was pr proud in this passage? Eliab was proud. But who was, doing, who was accusing who of pride? He was accusing David, and that's what I was trying to point out in this verse, that pride is one of those sins that spots itself in others and can't see itself personally. Proud people see the pride in people that don't even have it. What was it in David that looked like pride to Eliab? That's what, it was faith. That was it. It was the boldness of David to do well that looked like pride to the arrogant man. I have so many verses here about pride, but I think we'll just close with one of them. It's Daniel 4, 27 and 37. Daniel 4, I don't mean we're closing the lecture, I mean we're closing talking about pride. Daniel 4, verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto you, and break off your sins by righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. If it may be a lengthening of your tranquility, just think for a a minute, you North Americans, about Nebuchadnezzar. Because doesn't he have about the same problems as you? Namely, fullness of bread, pride, and abundance of idleness, and not helping the poor and needy. And it, does verse 27 give you any hints about how North Americans might break off their sins? How might they do it? You know, it's by showing practical mercy to the poor. That is, helping... If one of your sins is that you're not really helping, then a solution would be helping. Yeah, wouldn't that be how you turn away from the sin of neglect? Yes. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. So Daniel was wise, and maybe Sister Booth had the same idea. Break off your sins by righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Then look at the beautiful verse, verse 37, one of the most incredible verses in all the Bible. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Isn't that a promise to claim for ourselves? A promise that the God of heaven knows how to solve the pride problems of North Americans. In short, Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of North America. Is he able to humble those that walk in pride? He is. Look at Jude 16. One of the sins of India, and in many other parts of the world in a less formalized way, is class distinction. I think what our sister just shared sounds like an old English form of class distinction. The elite women thinking ill and not wanting to associate with the slummy folk. Verse 16 of Jude says, These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. And their mouth speaks great swelling words, listen carefully, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. It is a sin mentioned here to admire men because of the advantageous positions that they have as individuals or a class. It was in the Philippines, you can see this sometimes. Okay, all right. I mean that I met quite a number when I was there two weeks ago of men who were spiritual, zealous, knowledgeable young preachers, and yet if they would speak, they would not get the attention that one of my American co-travelers would get, even though he was not as armed or prepared or knowledgeable or as ready to communicate the truth. That is, because of his advantage, his advantageous position, he was held in admiration. And brothers and sisters, it isn't right. It isn't right that if a man comes into church that you know is wealthy, that you will treat him as if he is on a different level than, than the man that is poor. 
In fact, it's a sad pattern even here in North America. I want to say this so delicately because there are several physicians here in the audience. Well, I don't know if there's several. I might have exaggerated. But when I, when, when I am traveling to Sabbath schools where I've never been, and I meet a Sabbath school teacher, and I find out there's a doctor in the church, the chance of that doctor being the Sabbath school teacher is extremely high. This is in churches that only have one doctor. Here in California, you have some churches that probably have a dozen doctors, and it might not have any application. But in most of middle America, a church might have one doctor. And that doctor probably finances a good chunk of the church budget. And he is now the head elder or a Sabbath school teacher. And that just isn't right. I don't mean that a doctor shouldn't be a head elder or a Sabbath school teacher. If he's spiritually qualified, then he's as good a man for that position as anybody else. But this idea of holding people in admiration because of their position. When I began canvassing, and I couldn't help this, I think. It was, it was uh, anyway, you'll understand. When I would knock the door, and the person that came to the door was wearing a tie, I'd get choked up. I couldn't talk right. There was just something about someone who was dressed with a tie that made me feel like I was talking to someone that had authority or position or responsibility, and I was intimidated. I don't know if to be intimidated is a sin, but to hold such a man in admiration, to treat him with class distinction, is wrong. And this is what Jesus didn't do, and it really... It really disappointed some of the leaders in his own day. Because they knew that they'd seen, what, what are we told about, uh, was it Moses that had seen God? Or jo anyway, one of those persons, all might speaks in education, had, because they had spoken to God face to face or knew him, they saw no splendor that intimidated them in earthly potentates. Yeah, that is true. Turn in your Bibles to uh, just a moment. First Corinthians chapter six. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Moving again for a minute to the sins of inter and Latin America. What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you do not belong to yourself? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. My first trip to Asia is where I first remember chewing on a dead cow. I, I was at a minister's convention, and I just assumed that the food that was being served there 
would have been vegetarian fare. And when I put some of this unfamiliar vegetarian meat in my mouth, and I chewed and I chewed, and it would not chew up. I chewed and I chewed. And I finally asked someone what it was. And when they told me, It's such a shame for us as Adventists that where our church is growing very fast in entering Latin America and even in the Philippines, that the health message is so thoroughly ignored by even some of the most zealous and anxious workers in the church. That is that our God is our belly. And this type of idolatry, to serve the belly as if I belong to myself, as if I am not uh, liable or responsible to any higher power for the choices I make about my diet, it's a sin. Uh, I'm not saying that eating meat is a sin. There is a place, I can even imagine for myself today, that if you put me in the right situation for the right length of time, and if all that was available there was white rice and meat, I think after a week or two, I would probably eat meat. Because I think it would be better for me than just eating white rice. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it would be. Eating meat is not a sin, but ignoring God's counsels, ignoring his ownership of the body is an arrogance. It is a sin that is especially prevalent in entering Latin America and some parts of Asia. And it isn't true, even in many of those places where vegetarianism is rare, that it's difficult to get an abundance of fruits and vegetables. Many people plant them themselves and grow little gardens just around their house, near where they are, and uh, have fruit trees growing in the neighborhood. Did North Americans escape this business? I think I should be frank if I talk about the sins of North America in the same time as entering South America. In America, at least for our parents and grandparents, many of them gave up meat eating, but they never gave up the thought that they own themselves and can decide for themselves what they're going to feed themselves, so that, in fact, at potlucks, the way that they would indulge themselves in sugars and cheeses was such that there's not one bit of advantage over the time before when they used to eat uh, rice and beans and fish. I mean that a high sugar, high cheese diet is just as bad for you as a fish diet or a cow diet. Is there any health-oriented person here that would say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, okay, that is true. And uh, maybe... North America will bear some of the blame for the disregard of the health message elsewhere. 
since when we've traveled, we could have men advocating a vegetarian diet who were so portly and self-indulgent as to counteract the very things they were saying by the way that they were living. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Speaking again about the sins of inter and South America. It is the confusion or the confounding of faith with feeling. The confounding of faith with feeling. Now, let me say it more practically. I'll say it with an illustration. I was giving a Bible study in Arkadelphia to a man and his wife. Heidi was there, my wife. And uh, we weren't studying about music, but the is issue of music came up. It came up because we invited the man to come to church. You know, he'd learned about the Sabbath. He'd learned about a lot of other things. And it seemed like it was a good time for him to start attending church. He'd already attended once, but he hadn't come back. And so it seemed like a good thing to invite him again. But when I invited him, I wasn't prepared for his objection. He didn't like the music. He was used to music that was exciting and would get him revved up. And he just didn't feel a blessing in our little church plant. Our little church plant, which had its... Well, we were very small, and so it wasn't like the kind of rousing church service you would have if you're in a, in a school church. It was a little church with a kind of a quiet song service, and maybe our piano was a low-quality piano, and the music just wasn't doing it for him, and he didn't want to come. And so when he said that, I began to try to study with him this idea of faith and feeling. Revelation 3, but I haven't read you a verse yet, but you can keep your finger there. I began to study it with him, and what I told him is that that feeling of energy you get, and even that tingling up and down your spine that you get in those church services, you don't only get that from exciting Christian worship, you also get it from certain types of drug use, and you also get it even in Hindu and Buddhist exciting ceremonies, and in fact, it, it is something you can get in a lot of different venues which proves that it's not evidence of what is or isn't true. And when I said that, his wife objected. She said, no, it's not the excitement of the music. We just sing hymns in, in our church, too. It's not BT or Rocky or anything. And I began to feel like, oops, I blew it. When the husband piped up and said something like, honey, I don't like your church either. <laughs> he had joined a church back in Colorado that had that kind of music, and he had been dissatisfied with the Baptist church because it didn't have that kind of music. He was searching, and because he was searching, he came to our series, but when he came to our church, he wasn't satisfied either. Listen, this is the common sin 
of intern Latin America, but this man was North American. It's a confounding of faith with feeling. It's thinking that when you have a great experience that now you're close to God, and when you don't have those feelings, now you're far. Revelation chapter 3, and we're looking at verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are miserable and wretched and poor and blind and naked. It's that word poor that I'm speaking of, and that word rich. What is the gold of Laodicea? James 2 shows what it is. Testimony to minister says what it is. It's faith that works by love. But what is faith? There's not time here to lecture on it, but some of you have heard my lectures on this before, or you've read maybe Lessons on Faith by Jones and Wagner, or you've heard it from some other source. Somehow you've dealt with this issue. Faith is living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what faith is. Feeling sometimes follows faith, not always. And we do not prepare our churches properly if when they get excited, they feel like they've had a real spiritual experience. I don't know how to prove this any more than I have, so I think I'm going to drop it before I dig myself into a hole. I think I will. So I won't go into any more sins. I'll spend the last few minutes reviewing the solution. What have we said are the sins of North America, Latin America, and Asia? They have included pride, a pride that may, might not look like arrogance. It could be a deep-seated pride that doesn't even show up, but it might manifest itself by neglecting to seek after God. You remember that in Proverbs, we read that? A pride that neglects to seek. We've looked at abundance of food as the sin of Sodom and the sin of the wealthy all around the world. We've looked at the idea of class distinction as a sign of having no proper concept of the holiness and the elevation of God, as a sign of a type of human idolatry that we might have as our idols men that are wealthy or men that are educated or men that are our fathers or men that are our children. Those could be gender-inclusive men. And all of those are idolatry of one sort or another. We can't afford to put men in the place where God should be. We've talked about dress, although I don't think we looked at a single verse about dress in the entire study. But uh, maybe as a, an illusion, it was Cain that said, am I my brother's keeper? And it is a faulty selfishness that would put fashion above kindness, that would make it, that would, knowing well that men struggle to have moral thoughts, would still dress in a way that would accentuate the shape of the person or would tease the male eye 
this kind of provocative dress, so common in Spanish-speaking churches, I might say North American Latin churches, because when I've been, when I've seen pictures from South American churches, I haven't always seen the same kind of provocative dress that I see in Latin churches here. I don't know if this might be one of the effects that comes when people move to this country and begin to lose their bearings. But the worship of fashion is idolatry, just like the worship of parents, or the worship of children, or the worship of educated men, or the worship of wealthy men. And then we've talked about the neglect to help the poor and the needy. If I would add a minute to that of what I should have said earlier, this is perhaps the least tapped, most useful vein for personal evangelism in your local congregation. That is giving for real help to the poor people. Not the kind of help the government gives, idleness and an abundance of food, but the kind of help the government doesn't give, personal sources of information and lifestyle instruction and guidance and helping to meet an emergency. My wife and I had an experience that opened our eyes to this eight years ago. We were giving a Bible study to a, a young man and to his mother. The young man had just got out of prison. His mother had been taking studies for almost two years. And then he got out of prison. He began taking studies. And to make a very sad, tragic story short, one Sabbath he spent all day with me going study to study to study because he seemed to be of a particularly distressed mind and I wanted to spend more time with him. So I took him with me to the studies. That next morning he committed suicide. Successfully, he died. And... Um, I learned later part of what had happened there. He had, got, he had been in prison for molesting children, and part of his sentence was that after he got out, he would be on probation for a long period of time if he ever did anything in that probation. If he was caught in the presence of children unsupervised, he'd be back in jail. And uh, his sister, thinking that he was a dangerous predator, had brought his own nephews and nieces down to see him and said, let's take a picture, and had put them around him, and had backed up and taken a picture of him, and then turned it in to the police as an effort. And um, it's sad. And he, not wanting probably me and his church family to know about his life, he took his own life. You know, his mother is the one who found him. And she called Heidi and I even before she called the ambulance. And, uh, but the ambulance was much closer to her than we were. So when we got there, they'd been there for 20 minutes already. But when we got there, the family was starting to arrive from all over. The family was brothers. As a poor family, they could not afford a funeral for him. They didn't have even the $1,000 for the minimum cheap casket burial. And Heidi and I don't have any children, 
and we did have $800 that we could spare, and so we gave them $800 to help with the funeral. There has never been an $800 that I've given anywhere that has been as productive for evangelistic help. Never. The way that they reacted to that gift, I mean, I'm still in contact now four years later with that family. One of them, within a week of that time, gave up his pagan life to become a Christian. And today is a minister, not yet of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but he's studied with amazing facts and is interested in learning slowly. What was the sin of Sodom? Neglecting to help the poor and needy. Not knowing that the way you break off your sins of uh, pride and overeating and all these problems that we have is by serving others. It's by selflessness. And is God able to abase those that walk in pride? He is. And as we confess our sins, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, let's kneel for a prayer. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would save us from the sins that are around us, and more particularly that you'd save us from the sins that are in us, that you'd find a way to reveal to us the corruption that endangers our future and our usefulness, that you would clean us thoroughly and let us be the way that your bride ought to be, white and spotless without fault. I ask for you to finish the work that you've started. And I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.